I'm going to ask you to think back into your childhood this morning, all right? For some of you, that's a much longer period of time than others. How many of you have ever been told something like this? I don't ever want to see you stick out your tongue at somebody again. That's rude. Anybody here ever had a parent or somebody tell you that? Brighton is the only one that raised his hand. So nobody else here has had any problem. Okay, all, only the youth are raising their hand. Okay, they're the only ones that are being honest this morning. However, that instruction apparently does not apply when you're at the doctor's office when he tells you, please stick out your tongue. Why does a doctor want you to stick out his, your tongue? It's because your tongue can help them diagnose how healthy you are. Your tongue can help the doctor see if you have certain types of vitamin deficiencies. Scarlet fever. They can tell if you're a smoker or not. If you have certain types of oral cancer, among many other things. Your physical tongue can reveal how healthy you are physically to the doctor. And so when you go to the doctor, one of the first things they often have you do is and they, they ask you to what? Stick out your tongue. You go to my dentist, she doesn't just have you stick it out. She grabs it and turns it and all that other kind of stuff. The first time she did that, I was a little freaked out. And as we started to see last week, your physical tongue can also reveal how healthy you are spiritually. You see, Jesus himself said, for out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. Basically, what he's saying there is your spiritual health can be determined by how you speak, by what you do with your tongue. Jesus' brother James, whose book we are studying right now, had come to understand the truth of his brother's statement because it's Jesus who stated that. Because when he wrote to some of his church who were dispersed because of persecution, he clearly affirmed Jesus' statement when he writes in James 1.26, which we've already covered, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is what? Worthless. How black and white is that? It doesn't say, if you do it, sometimes it's gray. He says, if you do not bridle your tongue, it reveals what your heart is. It reveals your spiritual health. And if it reveals too much, you're going to find out that your religion is worthless because Christians speak differently. James is saying it doesn't make any difference what you claim your relationship with Jesus is because your tongue will eventually reveal what your heart is. It will eventually reveal if your heart has actually truly been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. It will be revealed. You might be able to hide it for a while, but your tongue is eventually going to reveal who you are. Through his letter, <clears throat> James addresses the need to watch out for how we speak, to watch over our tongues, because it reveals the true spiritual nature of our hearts. We can boil it down to this. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, Christ followers will talk differently. Christ followers will speak differently. Their speech will not be perfect but it will be significantly different. And we can put it this way. True believers will have a tongue that is being sanctified. Bottom line. It's going to become more and more holy. Your speech is going to become more and more holy over time. Nowhere else in the Bible is the topic of how Christ followers are to watch over their behavior of their tongues addressed more clearly than where we're at this morning in James chapter 3. How important it is that we behave well when we speak. And Jesus clearly answers this question, and he says this. I tell you, again, this is Jesus. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every, how many? Every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your world's words, you will be condemned. He doesn't say anything there about actions, does he? He says, we are going to be condemned or we're going to be justified, right be made right before God by a judgment of our speech, by what our tongues have spoke throughout our lifetime. 
And James opens his major discussion, which we began last week, about the tongue in chapter 3 of James. So please stand with me, and you'll find James chapter 3 on page 1290 in the Red Pew Bible. I want you to follow along as I read James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide also their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and, setting, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the clearness of it, for the illustrations, for the, the vividness of what James is writing here. Father, help us to have our hearts changed by what we look at today, Father. In Christ's name, amen. As we saw last week, James begins to warn teachers or anybody who wants to be a teacher to beware of becoming a teacher. And you can see that in verse 1, which we just read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why? Why did he say this? Because teachers use their tongues to teach. Teachers, preachers, speak more than so many other people. And it is so much more likely, because of the nature of the tongue, that we're going to sin with it. And James says, don't really look forward to being a teacher. Don't run away from it, but understand the responsibility. Understand the liability of it is what he is saying. It is so easy to sin with our tongue. He says, teachers, beware. After making this point, James begins to explicitly illustrate the truth that he has just said. And he does that in verses 3 through 12. And let me remind you something about last, that I said last week about this passage. The direct context of this passage is to teachers. He, he opens it with, teachers, beware. And then he explains why they need to beware. And so sometimes when we see this, we as people say, hey, great, I'm not a teacher. <laughs> and what follows does not apply to me. But James doesn't give us that option. If you look in verse 2, you see him bridging to include everybody. He says, for we, what? All stumble. He doesn't say, for teachers stumble. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect, or what we said last week, a mature man. He says, I'm still talking mainly to teachers, but understand this applies to everyone. This applies, what we're going to learn about the tongue and the character of the tongue applies to everybody who is sitting here this morning. Everyone. What insight James gives us here? You know what they say to me? What these illustrations are going to say to me? If we want to focus on one thing to get my, our spiritual act together, the first thing we need to work on is our tongues. If we want to grow spiritually, the first place to start, because it is so difficult, is with how we speak. Because as we learn to control our speech, as we learn to make our speech more holy with the Holy Spirit's help. As we mature and become more perfect in what we say, 
that the lessons we learn in how to control our tongue translate into the rest of our lives as we deal with other sins in our lives because it is the same thing. It is the same process. So if we start with the tongue and are making good progress on the tongue, the rest of life will follow. If we learn to bridle our tongues, which is the most volatile and most potent revealer of sin in our lives, then what we learn in bridling our tongue will help us bridle the rest of our lives also. And so what this leads us to now is our first point this morning. The tongue is small but powerful. The tongue is small but powerful. Take a look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And basically what James is saying here is the tongue has a disproportionate power over our lives. The tongue has a disproportionate power over our lives, just like the bit does on a horse. A horse weighs hundreds of pounds. It's a very powerful, powerful animal. But how do most people control a horse? With just a little piece of metal that you see there in his mouth, a bit. That little piece of metal disproportionately controls the horse. The horse is so much bigger than that piece of metal, but that piece of metal guides and directs the horse, tells it when to stop, tells it when to turn, tells it, tells it that the person on its back is the boss most of the time. Not always. I see some of you who I know have been horses are saying, like, it doesn't always work. But we're not going to go there tonight or this morning, all right? And so <clears throat> your tongue has that same type of disproportionate power. And as you think about that, that's a really apt illustration, isn't it? But he doesn't stop there. He turns our attention to a ship. Look at verse 4. Look, also, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, whatever the will of the pilot directs. And I wanted to try to figure out how to, I mean, not many of us have been on ships. And many of us who have been on ships or a cruise or something, you really don't care about the rudder. You just hope that the pilot knows where he's going, right? So what I did is I did some research. Okay, this is a oil tanker. And it is the middle line of oil tankers. There's six major uh, sizes of oil tankers. This is the, the middle one. All right. It's a picture of a, what is called a Suez Max. That's what that is called. It is 935 feet long. And if you want to know what that translates to, that's 311 yards, more than three football fields long. Think about that. The ship is more than three football fields long. It is 254 feet wide. That's 85 yards wide. Almost another football field wide. How big is this ship? It weighs approximately 160,000 tons unloaded. All right. The rudder, however, is approximately 12 foot by 46 feet. Think about that. The rudder that controls that ship, and you can see part of it there, is approximately 12 feet by 46 feet. And when you look at that rudder in light of the whole rest of the ship, it helps us understand what James is saying here. The rudder of these ships has so much influence over the rest of the ship. And he goes on to say, it, and, and in his day, what power? They, they didn't have nuclear-powered engines or coal-powered engines. What did they have to power their ships? Wind. Wind. Or their own backs with oars. But the big vessels that are being talked about here, it was wind. And he mentions that. He said, uh, look at the ships also, though they are so large, are driven by strong winds. So this ship, even with its outside forces acting on it, so not just the ship itself, but the outside forces that act on the ship, these small rudders will direct that ship anywhere the pilot wants it to. 
Again, we come to understand from this illustration how much power our tongue has over the rest of our lives and our bodies. These vivid illustrations make a very powerful and insightful point. Our tongues have the power to steer our lives in one direction or another. Our tongues have tremendous power over the lives of uh, over our lives, even though it is such a small member of our body. And having made this powerful point about how the power of our tongues works, he comes to a conclusion in verse 5. Look at verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It boasts of great things. Even though James is writing in a warning type of tone here, we need to understand that the tongue uh, has great power to do good or evil, true? Can the tongue boast of great things that are good? Has history been changed by what people have said? Absolutely. Not many of us were around on August 20th, 1940. I'm looking around to make sure I'm right. Now, some of you might be close, but I think there might be one in here who was around in 1940, uh, August 20th. Even though we weren't around, many of us in history class and in other places may have heard a famous quote by Winston Churchill when he spoke of the British airmen who flew in the Battle of Britain. One line, one sentence that raised the morale of an entire country as they fought against Germany in World War II. Many of you will recognize this. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So much. So many, so few. That line has been quoted thousands and thousands of times throughout the time since 1940, and it rallied all of Britain into the war in World War II. One sentence, one phrase changed the course of Britain's history. And then... We have these types of statements in America. One of the most iconic speeches in American history was given by Martin Luther King. A speech that is titled, what is it? I have a dream. One of the most quoted lines from that speech that has been heard over and over and over for decades is this. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. That speech is attributed, uh, has been attributed to a major shift in that day and age when it comes to discrimination. One sentence, one part of a speech. But you want to know something? Those are just men's words. And they change history. Speech is powerful. But then there are even more powerful words. Blessed words spoken by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. What joy and comfort have been found in these words over thousands of years of human history. How many lives have been changed because of those words? How many people uh, have come because of these words to, under, to a saving faith of Jesus Christ? And they just didn't have their lives changed here on earth. They had their lives changed for all of eternity all of eternity. The tongue can truly boast great things that are good. But in the context of this passage, it seems more likely, considering what is following verse 5, that James is not focusing here on the tongue used in a positive and helpful way, but rather the use of the tongue in a way that is negative and is very harmful. While it has the capacity to do good, to speak peace and encouragement, it also has the capacity to turn harmony into chaos, to sully the reputation of others, to bring bitter thoughts and words into a family, to ruin relationships 
and to damage the testimony of those who proclaim to be followers of Jesus Christ. It has just as much power on the negative side of the coin. And when you, we read from uh, verse, the last part of verse 5, it's easy to see why the tongue has so much potential for tremendous evil that he not only warns teachers, but he wants all of us to understand your tongue, your tongue is very evil. It has a propensity to evil. It has tremendous power. And so why is it that our, it's easy for our speech to tend towards evil more than good? And what we're going to find out, it's easy for the tongue to destroy. It's easy for the tongue to destroy. Look at the last part of verse 5. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. In verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. What an intense contrast. One little burning cigarette can set thousands and thousands of acres of forest on fire. One tiny flame can set a whole city burning to the ground. Did you know that water cannot be multiplied? You pour water on the ground, you, you dump water on the, on the pine straw, and what does it do? Nothing. It just evaporates, goes away. It's not ever going to become a flood on its own. But if you have a match and you, and you drop it in pine straw, what happens? It'll set a whole forest on fire because fire has a way of multiplying uncontrollably. When I was younger, I had the opportunity to be close to a raging forest fire. Our family was going to fishing north of Phoenix where we lived up on the uh, Mongolian Rim. As we were driving up, we were stopped by the forest service because a fire was racing up the mountain side and they were not sure how safe the road ahead was going to be so we waited in the car and back in that day you just rolled down the windows and you kind of talk you know there weren't there weren't like game boys and phones to play with you just kind of looked out dad can we move yet you know and we sat there for quite a while then we saw the fire getting closer we could see it coming up the mountain and it was fast burning it was burning everything in sight it was so hot, the trees were igniting before the fire ever got to them. It was loud, and I was scared. It was one, of the, one, time in my mind, one time in my life that I didn't mind changing our plans to go fishing. I didn't want to be there. All I saw was the fire. We were told to turn back and to go down the mountain, which we did with my full approval. I had no problem with that. Such power and devastation in a forest fire I got to experience and it scared the living daylights out of me. Because I looked at it and said, there's no way to stop this. You could hear the roar, and we began to feel the heat. And it was hundreds of yards away from us. There is such power in the example of a fire. And then look at verse 6, the first part of verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. James makes this point very clear. The tongue is a fire, like the fire that I saw when I was a child. You know something? Since the first sin in the garden was a sin of the tongue, that fire has been burning ever since. We looked at that last week. The first human sin was when Adam slandered God with his tongue it was the woman you gave me she is the reason why i sinned and you gave her what did he blame on god his sin he slandered god the first recorded human sin in the bible hundreds of years before james writes this letter solomon wrote this a worthless man plots evil and his speech is a scorching fire. A worthless man plots evil. His speech is a scorching fire. It's easy for fire to destroy, and it's just as easy for our tongues to destroy. And that is why we all need to listen to the wise words of Proverbs ten nineteen. Many words, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. 
We need to take that to heart. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Destruction is not lacking. Restrain your lips. Don't be the spark that ignites a forest fire. And James is not done yet. He is going to just keep reiterating the same thing over and over. The tongue is dangerous. The tongue is a destroyer. And he wants his dispersed flock and us, all of, anybody who is to read this letter, to never forget the danger, the extensive destruction of the tongue. And as we looked at uh, verse 6, we're going to see that there's four parts to this destruction. And it's a, these four parts actually expand as each one goes through. The first part of that is a world, it's a wor- world of unrighteousness. Take a look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. He's not thinking about the world as far as the earth. He's not thinking about the physical world. What James is referring to is the world as a system, the evil system ruled by Satan. And his point is the tongue is an unrighteous, hostile, rebelling system of evil within our humanness. That's what he's talking about. Not just within our lives, within the lives of everybody that's sitting here this morning. It is the focal point of evil behavior within man. Its intent is to bring the whole person into its wicked system. That's our tongues. A world of unrighteousness. And I think if we were to poll everybody here this morning, everybody would agree, because how much has your tongue been the world of unrighteousness within your life? We all know that. We all know the answer to that. I don't think there's one person in here who said, ah, not much. Not much. And then he moves and he's going to expand the devastation, expand what he's talking about. Not only is it a world of unrighteousness, it stains the whole body. It stains the whole body. Look at verse 6 again. uh, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Think about that in light of fire. It's like smoke. A fire, smoke from a fire stains everything that doesn't burn. If it doesn't burn, how much damage is there outside of the burning? I mean, most of you know I'm a beekeeper, and I have this little tool called a smoker. It's only about that big. I don't use a whole lot of smoke. I don't cover myself in smoke. But every time I come in the house, my wife knows I use the smoker. I could take all the bee suit off. I could take all the gloves off. I could take everything off. And what am I stained with? Smoke. Smoke. That's James's point. This fiery tongue stains the whole body. So the tongue is a raging fire, and what it can't consume, it will stain with its putrid, foul-smelling smoke. What a word of, world of iniquity is set loose in our mouths. It either burns our bodies, or burns the, destroys who we are, or it smoke stains your whole body, your whole personhood. It blackens every part of who you are. And we understand this from Mark chapter 7, verse 20. Again, this is Jesus Christ himself. And he said, Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of our hearts, what is inside, is what defiles us. And it's that idea of smoke staining when we look at James. We all understand that, don't we? Pedro's recently had a fire. Kathy and I, they opened up. We walked in, and what did we immediately smell? They had repainted, they had done the repairs, and you could still smell the smoke. The whole restaurant smelled of smoke. That's what our tongues do. Whatever it doesn't burn, whatever it doesn't destroy, it stains, it blackens us. And then we see it sets the fire the whole course of life. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And I'm going to tell you something. This just hurt my heart. It just gripped me. Because sometimes we think that our tongues only affect us. 
but we don't realize and we don't understand that this fiery tongue, this destructive tongue that stains every part of our body sets on fire the whole machinery of your life. It, is not only, it not only stains you, but it touches everything you touch. It goes beyond the body to touch every participant in the circle of your life. And that is why we know that people know you by how you talk. You see how he keeps getting wider and wider in the destruction of the tongue? The first two dealt with whom? The person. And now he's very clear. The use of your tongue, the fiery destruction of your tongue, impacts everybody that lives around you. Every course, every part of your life. The destruction of your tongue reaches beyond you into the whole network of people. Gossip, rumors, slander, false accusations, lies, evil speech that can stain and destroy a whole family, a school, a church, a community. There's nothing left untouched in your life concerning your tongue. And then he reveals something else. What sets the tongue on fire? What is the source of this destructive energy? And he tells us at the end of verse 6, and is set on fire by what? Hell itself. This is the most devastating statement on the danger of the tongue. It is habitually being lit by hell itself. This word used here is the uh, Greek word Gehenna, which means the Valley of Hinnon. And every Jew that would have read this would have understood the illustration that he's making with that word. From the earliest of Jewish history, the Valley of Hinnom, which is a huge valley in Israel, by Jerusalem, was a place of burning. It was a place where the followers of Molech actually sacrificed their children on the fiery arms of Molech. And as it went through history, the Jews came to regard the place with deep hatred because of what it represented. And it eventually became the city dump for Jerusalem. Garbage and the refuse of the, of the city, the dead bodies of animals and criminals were pitched into the Valley of Hinnon, which they kept burning at all hours of the night because they needed to destroy the garbage that was set in there. And so the word Gehenna became a fitting symbol of an ever-burning fire and the crawling worms of decaying bodies to illustrate the future hell of the ungodly. That's the word he uses when he says, our tongue is put on, is, the source of its energy is the fire of hell. So, we need to remember the tongue is a system of evil on its own, but it affects the whole person by spewing out its filth, and it sets its filthy stain and fire on the whole machinery of life, as far-reaching as the network and every person that you come, and is set on fire, is set on fire by hell itself. In other words, you know who's behind all of this? Satan. That is our tongue. When I started looking at this all week long, I just wanted to shut my mouth and keep my teeth shut to keep my tongue tamed. And he says, this is why we need to be careful, especially teachers. Because every time we open our mouth, we have a tendency to do what? Sin. Because the, and destroy things. The tongue that you and I have can be a devastating, devastating tool of Satan to pollute your whole person, to corrupt your whole circle of life, and it comes right out of the pit of hell. And no wonder James is so greatly concerned that we bring the tongue into the control to be able to honor God with it. If it is not going to honor God, and you need to understand this, if your tongue is not honoring God, it is serving Satan. Did you hear that? If your tongue is not honoring God, if it is not bringing glory to God in what you say and what you speak, you are serving Satan. There is no middle road. Every believer must realize that in his fallenness, in his humanness, there remains the power of the tongue to destroy. It, with this in front of us, it brings us this thought to our mind. Wouldn't it be wonderful, won't it be wonderful 
when we see Jesus Christ, when he takes us home, and for the first time in our existence, our tongues will speak nothing but what will glorify God. I cannot wait for that day when I'm standing before my Savior, and I know that I don't have to worry about my tongue anymore. I can open it with all the, the vigor I have in my body and sing praises to my Savior, sing praises to God on high, to be part of that multinational choir of billions of people, and I can open my mouth wide and not be worried about my tongue. I can't wait for that day. But until then, I know that I have to be careful of my tongue. What James continues with, again, breaks our hearts, and, but it gives us hope at the same time. Look at verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird of, uh, and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And what we find here is the tongue cannot be tamed by mankind. And that breaks our hearts. That breaks my heart. As I studied this passage over the last two weeks, I found myself more and more hating my tongue because I have realized more deeply than ever before that James has been spot on in describing my tongue, and I don't like that one bit. I don't like what James has revealed about my tongue in my life. My chest more than once has begun to tighten when I preach and teach now, because I understand that while I'm standing in front of you right now, I'm opening my mouth, and my tongue is at work. But James is clear. No one here this morning will ever be able to tame their tongue out of their own power. And that breaks our hearts. Yes, we have a responsibility to mature in our ability to control our tongues. Yes, we need prayer and God's Word and other believers around us to help us mature in our speech, but we're never going to tame it by ourselves. There is no human being who has ever been able to tame the tongue but one person, and who was that? Jesus Christ. I hope this chills you to the bone. You ought to be frightened about what your tongue will reveal about your heart. And that is why I said last week it should be very wise, it would be very wise for many of us just to stop talking so many words in our life. We need to sit back and control our tongue. We need to be quiet more than we're talking. We need to understand that every time we pop off or every time something just comes out of our mouth, we need to stop it before it gets there. Have you ever tried to do that all the time? How many of you succeeded? But there's also hope in these verses. James writes that no human being can tame our tongue. He does not write that no one can tame our tongue. What hope that, that brings to our hearts and minds because there is one person who can live within us and help us tame the untamable. God himself in the Holy Spirit. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through the wonder of the gospel, there is hope that the tongue can be tamed and it can stop some of the destruction. However, it will always be a wild and restless thing that we must watch. And we understand that, don't we? Has anybody here ever been to a circus? How many have been to a circus? You know what one of the favorite parts of a circus for me was? was a lion tamer and the tiger tamers and the big cat tamers. Yeah, those are exciting, right? And sometimes we, we see the trainer walking around. What's he got in his... He's got a whip, right? I don't think if they got mad at him, that whip's going to do a whole lot. I always wondered why he carried a whip because it's really not going to do any good, okay? But there's one thing that if you've really paid attention, those cats are somewhat tame, but they're still what? wild animals. And you know what the tamer never does? He never takes his eyes off of them. He always knows what they're, where they're at. He always knows what they're doing because he knows there's a west, restless wildness and even though they're tame, even though I have worked for hundreds of hours with them, they are still a wild beast. And that's what our tongue is when we become saved by Jesus Christ and when we lay our hearts before the Word of God, we understand that it can become more and more tame. 
We understand that, that we, it can bring more and more glory to God, but what do we also know? We never take our eyes off of it. We never stop thinking that, we never start thinking that what? I've arrived. Because as soon as the, ta- the trainer in the lion cage thinks he's arrived, he exits, literally. Because he does not trust those lions or tigers. Oh my, I just saw one here. <laughs> Somebody say that here. And so as we think about that, James brings us to his last illustration that helps us see even more so why the tongue is so dangerous. Because the tongue is a hypocrite. The tongue is a hypocrite. I read a story. Well, let's read verses 9 through 12 first. Verses 9 through 12. With it, our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. As I was thinking about this, I came across a story this week. A little girl sat with her arms wrapped around her father's neck. But like mothers often do, she observed that over her father's shoulder, she was sticking out her tongue at her little brother. Okay. And the mother looked at the young girl and responded, Take your arms from around your father's neck. You cannot love your father and at the same time stick your tongue out at his son. Ooh. How many times do we say we love our father, the one who saved us? And we come and we want to put our arms around him, but we're looking over his shoulder, cursing somebody made in his image talking behind their backs, making snide comments, misrepresenting them, deceiving them, lying to them. All the while we say, I love you, God. I love you, my Father. But we have no problem cursing His very image that every human being is made in. That gives us pause, doesn't it? How often do we say we love God? and curse his very image with the same mouth we say we love him with. To profess love for God while reviling man made in his image is a brazen offense against God himself. Your tongue, my tongue, can be used in the most wonderful way to bless God, but so often that same tongue curses those who are made in his very image. Even though fallen men and women still carry the likeness of God within them, we often treat them like they don't. Our tongues slander them and criticize them, accuse them and abuse them with hatred and bitterness. How can man bless the God who loved them and then curse someone made in his image? And God says very strongly, this ought not to be. This ought not to be. And all of us here understand what ought means, don't we? In the English language. When your mom or dad said, this, this is not how you ought to act. What did we know? They meant, stop it. This is not who you are. This is not what this family is. We all understand the idea of ought. This is not the way we're supposed to act. This is not who we are. And James says, this, we ought, this ought not to be true about who we are as Christ followers. Being able to say we love our Father and at the very same time with the same tongue curse hurt another person made in his image God has saved us and has given us a capacity to mature in our speech but it is a hypocritical thing to say my heart has been changed by faith in Jesus Christ and still have my speech characterized by how I use my tongue In verse 11, he helps us begin to understand this some more. Look at verse 11. 
does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? What's he saying? No. Anybody here miss that? He's writing that in a way that the answer is automatically recognized by anybody who reads it. No. Look at verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? What's the response? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? What's the response? No. This ought not to be. He uses the very nature that God created to say, fig trees cannot produce this. Apple trees cannot produce oranges. And it should be the same way with us. Our tongue should not produce anything more than the bring praise and honor and glory to God. It should not curse those who are made in His image. It should not destroy as the fire destroys. He says this should not be for those who are Christ followers. James is saying, let nature teach you what is obvious. You can't have a sweet and bitter water coming out of the same fountain. You cannot have olives on a fig tree, and you can't have figs on a vine. And what he is saying, he says, what comes out of the mouth reveals what is truly in the heart. What comes out of the mouth is truly, truly reveals what's in the heart. And now it's time for us to look at the mirror. We've been doing this throughout this whole series. We understand what James is saying about the tongue. We understand how dangerous it is. We understand how far-reaching this destruction can be. That's the natural tendency of our tongue, especially for those who have not met Jesus Christ. And now it's time for us to honestly evaluate our speech, our tongues. It is time for us to look in the mirror and do what? Stick out your tongue. Grab it like my dentist does. Turn it. Look at it underneath it. Look on the sides. When you get into the privacy of your own home, looking in the mirror. Look in the mirror and ask yourself this. What does my tongue show about my spiritual health? What does my tongue reveal about what's in my heart? How easy is it for me to set things on fire versus bringing glory to God with my tongue? As you look in the mirror, am am I better at my speech than I was a year ago? Am I maturing? Is God changing me? Am I maturing in how I use my tongue? If the answer is no, then you really need to... Look at what James is saying. There is no assurance of your salvation if your speech is not changing. If your speech looks like the world, sounds like the world, destroys like the world, then you don't have Jesus Christ, no matter what you claim. But if your speech is changing, if it is maturing, if you're finding yourself with the help of the Holy Spirit being able to restrain and not talk so much with frivolous words, if you're finding that your speech is more and more matching what the Word of God says, if more and more of the Word of God is coming out of your mouth, if you find yourself praying more, being around people who are helping you more, then you understand there is great assurance in your salvation because the only way your tongue is going to get better is if you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And that only happens if you have come before Jesus Christ and said, I need you as my Savior because He's the only one that can change that tongue. He's the only one. So what do each of you see in the mirror this morning? What does a mirror reveal about your spiritual health when you look at your tongue? There is so much pain and suffering in the world because of evil tongues, abuse, slander, lies, lashing out in anger and bitterness, and it all leads to broken homes, ruined lives, and even murder. Human tongues start wars. Human tongues split churches and destroy careers. They are a restless evil. But there is hope through faith in Jesus Christ who is the one who can change the normal human condition of of a human tongue into a new creature, a new man, a new woman, a new child who can change what their tongue says because they have the Holy Spirit living within them. What does the tongue What does your tongue 
reveal about your heart and about your spiritual condition. Bow your heads for just a minute, please. Father God, we bow before you. Human beings made in your image who've had our tongues, our speech tainted by the sin that fills this world. And Father, we pray and we ask that you would help us to grow in your word so that our speech reveals your word. Help us to grow in how we use our tongues so that you can be lifted up and glorified, so that your name can be hallowed, and so that people who desperately need you, that live right next door to us, work right next to us, that we go to school with, that we spend family holidays with. Father, we pray that our tongues would be able to influence those who do not know you because our tongues are different. We speak different. And we pray that everybody would notice that so that we can point them to Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the bluntness of James. Thank you that he doesn't pull punches. Thank you, Lord God, that he has a correct diagnosis. And that he has also given us the cure, faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Great.